Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Metal Mike, and in this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, I talk to solo artist and lead vocalist from Kick Tracy, Stephen Chereau. We talk about Stephen's upcoming solo album, the stellar Kick Tracy debut, No Rules, the rise and fall of the band, and the time he auditioned for Motley Crue. We talk tons of cool stuff. You gotta check it out. Well, Steven, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing tonight, brother? Oh, thank you, Mike. I appreciate it. I'm doing great, man. How are you? Oh, man, I'm doing awesome. Thanks for asking. So, what have you been up to musically, man? Have you had some time now to do some writing and some playing? What have you been up to? Oh yeah, well, we are in quite the uh, quite the interesting time in this crazy world. I definitely have plenty of time to um, you know to uh, go within and and do some creating. Yeah, I'm. I actually started a record. I'm about to release a, another solo record, a follow up to Golden. It's entitled Silver Linings, and uh, that record I started that probably right around. Uh, Valentine's Day, I guess, you know, mid-February, um, and then all of a sudden COVID hit, but that didn't really stop us, so I, I you know, just kind of kept, all those songs were written, and I was already, you know, in the process of recording, so that's really what I've, what I've been up to for the last, you know, three, four months, I guess, here, and just kind of putting the final touches on that, and with my same guy that I, I did uh, Golden with, a guy named Bernie Larson, who, uh, you know, he's a, a local, my local cat in Ojai, who's pretty much my one-man band. He's just an incredible musician, and the two of us just get it done, you know, so it's a, it's a very, it's a beautiful process. He and I did Golden together, which um, you had mentioned that, you know, uh, as before we went on the air here, but you were talking about my previous solo record entitled Golden. Um, we done did that like four or five years ago, and and uh, you know why why fix what ain't broke, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you sent me so. a couple of tracks to listen to right before uh, the interview started, man, and I was blown away. They're they're great tracks, uh, catchy, unconditional. I think I still is stuck is still stuck in my head, um, but I'm liking the vibes, man. Like I said, I, I'm hearing a little bit of David Bowie, John Lennon solo kind of infused in there, but that's just my first take at it, but. You know, still yeah. has the kind of vibe that that you put out there as well. Well, I appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Anytime, you know, like if anyone's comparing me to Bowie or, or, or Lennon or all that, I'm, I'm very grateful um, and humbled. But you know, this this batch of songs, I uh, very simply put, I, I all these were crafted just right, you know, at home on the piano. I, I literally, eighty eight percent of them are all written. And I, I, I will, my disclaimer here is I really don't even claim to know how to play piano. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, I play by ear. I make it up. I make every, I, everything I'm playing, you know, I'm, I, I, I make up. So, um, I do, I do know how to play, but, um, I'm not trained in any way, shape, or form. So it's a real honest batch of heartfelt, you know, it's, it's a, this is a relationship record, man. It's, it's you know, 
good, bad, ugly, you know, um, <laughs> and everything in between, man. You know, I think we can all relate to the trials and tribulations of trying to get along with people, you know, um, on whatever level it is, friends, lovers. So, yeah, that, that kind of sums it, sums it up. And, and given the, like I said, the climate of what's going up on out there in the world today, I just figured the, uh, silver linings, I think really kind of hits home with a, a lot of what's going on because we could get down and go, you know, think about all the, you know, negativity, but, you know, with it all comes, there are, you know, there seem to be a lot of silver linings, you know, it just opens up different opportunities and you kind of, kind of gives you a different worldview, you know, so I, I'm, I'm grateful for the, the kind of the time to kind of just, you know, I reflect and, and, um, like I said, kind of go in and, and go within, just, it's, per, you know, get more personal, <laughs> you know, so. That's, that's what this batch of songs is about. Any plans on when you'll put it out? Will it be this year or maybe next year? I intentionally wanted to, to release it this year. I, you know, with uh, no one was planning on a pandemic, and and I, I, I guess people do need some music in the midst of it. So I was planning on putting it out this year, and I think I still will. It just it might be. Uh, I, I'm thinking around September. Mm-hmm. I'll probably like like a birthday gift to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, hey, man, can you believe that next year it's going to be 30 years uh, since the Kick Tracy debut album? Does it seem like it's been that long? What? What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. 30 years? It is is, is another another lifetime ago, brother. It's so crazy. Yeah, wow. I, mean, I bought it when it came out, and uh, I, so I'm I'm 44. So I remember getting it as as a teenager, and it's like, wow, a lot of time has passed. It's crazy, isn't it? I, you know, I'm actually in Minnesota, but I came home here to. Um, I, I just I've got yeah, man, I'm <laughs> just life's crazy right now. But um, you know, I kind of needed to get home and get some homebrew. So I'm sitting here at Bel Air Beach. Uh, which is a place right on White Bear Lake in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, where I've basically been here for 42 years. We grew up here, high school. And, you know, the house that I grew up in, my, my family, we decided to sell it. So I just spent all day today, you know, you got 42 years of stuff <laughs> going through, and I've come across boxes of ever, all the KT, you know, postcards and um all the promo, man. I mean, cassettes of, of uh, you know, both records and all the promo cassettes. And it, it was cool to go down memory lane a bit with that stuff. You know, I, I've, you know, <laughs> it's just, uh, it's kind of crazy. Yeah, that must be, years, that, yeah. that's got to be some wild stuff that you were uh, digging up. Because like you said, that was probably from your, your uh, even beginnings, even before Kick Tracy, right? Yeah, definitely coming up with, you know. A band like uh you know dame that i was in uh back in uh uh waukesha wisconsin and you know a couple a few guys we were basically we were like a cinderella mm-hmm. you know it's just full full on you know big hair and super glam but every band i most bands i was in of you know all the way to k tracy and you know and then i just kind of 90s hit and you know and whacked the hair and even in kick tracy i cut my hair but i was pretty pretty glam you know doing all the i, I like that scene man yeah, yeah obviously <laughs> i do as well um 
when you go back and listen to this, I mean, uh, I've been listening to a lot late, lately, and it's you know it's a great hard rock album. A lot of cool straight up rockers like No Rules. But then you get to some more unique stuff like Big Western Sky, Romeo Blues, yeah. You're So Strange. Those songs are a little bit uh, you know out of context in the the scene that was going on you know before grunge hit at least. Well, I think those songs are, are what set us apart. You know, we weren't we. I don't. We, I just never really considered ourselves a, a straightforward, you know, typical rock band. I, I guess I don't know. We were just a little bit more um, had a little more depth. I, I just, you know, I, I I couldn't. I think a lot of that was me because I just couldn't. And, and you can hear it in the stuff that I just sent you. You right, know, I mean, right. I I don't. I'm not. I love to rock, but I also love mood and just, you know, um, just kind of letting stuff breathe and, you know, uh, so, and, and, and songs and just, I, I don't want to get in the way of the song, really. That's my rule. It's like if the song wants to be a freaking, you know, <laughs> you know, down, kind of down home, you know, stomper, you know, just whatever it is, country stomper, I'm going to do it. You know, much like Beatles or whatever, it's like they had all kinds of. You know, there's no, there was really no rules to. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended. Um, I, I am the no rules guy, so <laughs> I, that's I kind of live by them songwriting wise. It's like, hey, we can do whatever we want, and the music defines us and what we're saying. You know, so I, I, I love all those tunes, Romeo Blues, Big Western Sky. I still get. I mean, people, there's you know, that's some a lot of people's favorites. You know, tune. Yeah, uh, what are some of your best memories from that era, from that first album? What what stands out? Oh my gosh! Well, I mean, you know, the the uh, I guess the most significant memory memory from that time is really just you know the the experience and and um, you know be a uh, being signed right yeah that's <laughs> you know, being signed about. yeah and being signed to a major and going through that whole. You know, just the whole, that whole process of, of, uh, all those steps that you heard about, that you dreamt about, that, you know, me as a kid growing up, just dancing around in front of my mirror, you know, singing to all my favorite artists and whatever. It, it all, and it all came to a, you know, to a head and, it, and literally my dream came true, you know. So dreams do come true. If you literally think about and, do something so intently and t intensely for such a long period of time eventually something cracks you know and and so to be with a major and all that stuff was pretty fun you know to all the dinners and all the initial you know we were, we were probably on the last wave of 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 like a lot of big money being spent on bands like us you sure. know i mean we signed the we signed the merch deal. We signed, you know, uh, the publishing deal, and then the record deal. All those were pretty solid advances. Um, I don't even know if they do that anymore these days. You know, I, it was just ridiculous, and you know, and 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 then picking, you know, and then the process of of uh, picking a producer, meeting all of the different producers, the Wormans, and the you know, all the just different guys that we all listen to you know, all their records, and you finally get to, you know, um, uh, Bob Ezrin, who was originally going to be, the, we, he, we uh, you know, originally had picked Bob to, wow. he wanted awesome. to do the record, and he's the guy that introduced us to Dana because Bob got a scheduling conflict, 
and couldn't do our record and says, look, and I, I can't do it, but this guy I got, he's like, he gets it, he's fired up, and he, you know, I think you should take a, you know, meet him. And so Bob brought Dana into a rehearsal, and sure enough, man, it, you know, the rest is history to a certain extent. Dana just, he was all in, and we, he, and we trusted him, and I, I don't think any one of us has any regrets. I mean, it was, it, it was a, you know, that record, it holds up, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's solid. Sounds like he kind of so, just let you guys be you because it didn't sound like you were really forcing it into any mold or anything, you know? Um, there's, I mean, you know, he was, as a producer, he was finding his sound. I mm-hmm. mean, much like a, like kind of a Mutt Lang where, you know, Dana had a sound on that, those Slaughter records, sure. that, you know, Up All Night. Um, and so he was definitely applying a bit of that sound to, to us, which I didn't have a problem with. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we, he was, he had grand ideas. I had grand ideas. We, you know, we, so, and again, there were really no rules. Whatever you could think of, we, we went for it. So, you know, in some aspect, he, he was finding his sound, you know, like I said, kind of like a Mutt Lang with a certain drum sound or a certain et cetera, et cetera. But again, everything that he did as far as what he lensed songwriting wise and to our original um, which actually you can hear on those those two uh, CDs, the Big Western Sky uh, C, uh, double CD set that came out with all those demos and rehearsal tapes. So you hear the original version of of No Rules. You can hear kind of how De- Dana took what we were doing and, and just put a little edge metal thing on it. You know, we were probably a little more like Candleboxy or something. I don't know. It was just a little less. You know, he took one riff and then so you know repeated that he, he just had a, an ear for that kind of stuff and it was beautiful i everything he lent to what we did was spot on was uh rca the right label that's a good question i i mean they were you know uh not a lot of people know this but the first label that um approached us was arista okay and so literally this is how it went down we were Kick Tracy had been banging around the, on the Sunset Strip for about a year and a half. I mean, we were literally just going to the Strip and kick ass, and then, you know, we were never the band to hang around and go to after parties. We literally would go back and just put the gear back in the room, and we'd probably go back to rehearsal the next day. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just, we we weren't fucking around. So, but we, uh, there was a cancellation at, uh, at uh, the Coconut Teaser, and for an artist night, it was like an industry night or something. They, they, there's cancellation. They go, "Can you guys play it?" And we're like, "Sure." So all all the labels are there, and we just showed up last minute. You know, this like couple hours prior, did this set. Next thing you know, um, we're approached by Arista, and a week later, less than a week later, we're on a plane to New York, and we're showcasing for Clive Davis wow. privately. <laughs> And you know who Clive Davis is. Oh, yes. <laughs> Whitney Houston and all that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're in SIR in New York literally a week later, you know, showcasing for Clive Davis. He's just sitting on a couch in a, in a room in SIR. He's there by himself. 
and he stands up. He, you know, he said, I, for, I don't know, said something like, you know, you got a kid or some, sh- I, you know, something, something. It, they ended up offering us uh, what was uh, deemed as a development deal back in those days, and they were kind of frowned upon because the reputation Arista was getting at the time was that you'd sign a development deal and you basically just kind of like, you sit there forever and get shelled and nothing would happen. And then right along, you know, kind of at the same time as Arista was in, we were also approached by Bennett Kaufman from RCA and they were, they, they in fact, they, the two, uh, A&R guys, Bennett and I forget the Arista guy approached us on the same night after that gig. Bennett and the RCA guys were just, they were always, they were just all in, you know, they, they were all in from the get go and we came back and they, they offered a very real deal. I think it was like seven, seven records, two guaranteed. And then with five options after that, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it was just a real deal. And so we, we met everybody in the, in the, uh, at the label, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the one, so, yeah, on one hand, yes, they were the right label. On the other hand, they were not the right label at the time because <laughs> they didn't have what you would call like a rock roster. They, they were trying to, they were developing their rock roster. You know what I'm saying? They were, uh, we were kind of a, they were, we were the kind of their darlings. And, but then again, being, that they were developing that side of things and we were kind of their their band to do that with they spent a whole hell of a lot of money on us <laughs> and and some of the best lawyer lawyering my uh, my lawyer ever did was to get me out of i could have been stuck with the whole bill uh but it was all written off as development you know um label development so i i you know uh, none of us got hooked for that bill so you know it's <laughs> Yes, they were the right label. <laughs> <laughs> well, they they pushed it. I, I remember. I remember that obviously there was two videos, and uh, I just remember yeah. when the album came out. Uh, there was a small record store in my town that I lived in, and I remember the posters being up of the album cover, the flats. So I just remember there being a lot going on visually, you know, at the record store when that album came out. Dude, they promoted the shit out of No Rules. I mean, they were, they flew, I heard that they, the promo team in New York, like, flew over New York Mets Stadium or something and dropped a bunch of No Rules stickers that came flying. I don't know, they like a box of stickers. You know, I mean, they were not messing around. We went out, for God's sake, we went out on a promo tour in a tour bus without any like official dates we were doing it was called a, a bowling at we were like a it was a bowling promote promotional tour in a tour bus you know playing acoustic sets at bowling alleys and you know bowling with fans i don't know if you ever came out to one of those or remember no. that but it was a huge but who does that anymore i mean without playing a gig like you know we we're just it's crazy but they they were way behind it and they dropped you know they like i said they promoted you know i think we ended up doing about three almost three hundred thousand okay so copies of that record ultimately i mean the timing we all don't don't worry i've talked about this a million times you know 1991 times are massively changing by the time this album gets out 
Um, what was your thought process as you see like Alice in Chains and Nirvana and here you guys are, you know, it was, it was a crazy time, you know what I mean? For music. I, I thought they were great bands, man. I mean, right. I loved Alice in Chains just as much as the, the next guy. I mean, it was badass. <laughs> you know, I thought we were badass. I thought, I thought what we were doing and what, you know, the record that we were making, uh, center of attention, which would have been the third, you know, the third record to come out, which there's demos and board tapes of it wandering around out there on the interweb, but I thought that record was, I, I, it, to me, it still is right now. I mean, it, you know, songs like Mood Swing and Chemical Love, and I mean, there's some, I, I wasn't worried about, you know, that's not, it was, the night the, the whole grunge thing is not what broke Kick Tracy up. Kick Tracy broke Kick Tracy up. I mean, the five personalities in that band uh, you know, everyone was going through some pretty serious life changes and, you know, just, uh, it, it was just a, a lot. You know, we were young with a lot, young, young band with, a, with money and, and there was resentment and, you know, egos and fucking what, you know, just name it. We had it, you know, <laughs> drugs, it, didn't, it doesn't matter. Drinking, divorce, marriage—all you know, of it. Wow. So, when did the band officially end? Was it '93 or? I think it was. Yeah, it was right around '93. I think our last gig was at like English Acid in in L.A. or somewhere. I, I, I think that was it. It was a when we we did we were doing we had played the Concrete Foundation. You remember Concrete Foundation yeah, Forum? Yep. Yeah, yeah. We played that. We and we had played a lot of a bunch of all new tunes. I think we had. I think Pantera was playing that. The same. They played after us. First time I got in the mosh pit. Fucking <laughs> 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 love Pantera. Good lord, that was they were like doing Cowboys from Hell or some shit. So so good. Um, yeah, we did the Foundations form, playing a bunch of the stuff off the Center of Attention. I, I you know I don't know it, somewhere it, late late ninety three. Ish, yeah. Well, if we kick back Mid. to to field trip, so what was the thought process there? Because obviously your sound's evolving a little, little bit. You know, I mean, it still has the same sound, but you're changing a little bit. Was the thought process is that we'll continue on and just push through the '90s? Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, the thought process with field trip was to we knew we wanted a different producer. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the kind of we we just wanted to kind of yeah, if you know, be a band in a room to a certain extent right. and we we ended up being uh going for which we were but dana's you know dana's approach compared to the, our next producer uh, a guy named by the name of chris goss who um he was he kind of known as the desert rock um palm springs he did all the caius records queens of the stone age um uh stuff like that and he he came in and, and just fell in love with the band and came to a rehearsal and he just, you know, put the band in a room and I mean, literally with that guy, those vocals on, on, uh, field trip, I was standing in the control room with, I mean, like, you know, we were at, we were in, uh, Sound City. I don't know if you've ever seen that documentary of that, of mm-hmm. that, uh, that studio in, in, um, uh, like, Northridge area. It's in the valley. It's called Sound City. Dave Grohl ended up with that Neve board. 
Um, anyway, it's a great documentary. But Sound City is a famous, famous studio. So I, I'm standing in the control room, and he's like, well, I'm ready to do vocals and thinking I'm going to go out in the booth. He goes, fuck no. He's like, grab the, he had a 58 mic, just like I have on stage, handheld. No, no, uh, guard or anything as far as you know no windscreen on it you know mm -hmm. so i'm just standing there with a literal mic you know standing in the control room with them with the mains on just cranking the track and singing you know vocals as if i'm like on stage he was like he's he figured out well enough that he's like dude you need to just have that mic in your hand and do what you do and so that's how i recorded that whole record just standing hold like i'm you know would be on stage performing that you know that song and there, oddly enough, there really wasn't a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of bleed. <laughs> you know, anyway, uh, but the idea with Field Trip was to kind of bridge the gap from where we were with no rules. And we had this group of songs and we, you know, we were like, let's just put out an EP and that kind of leads to where we're going, you know, um, and that was the idea, really, just kind of take a little field trip, and then we'll come back to, you know, to class and get get the real deal done. So ultimately, though, we never that uh, that third album never got released. What happened? Why did it never come out? Did the band implode before it could get released, or how did that play out? Yeah, yeah. we were uh, budgets approved. We were back in Sound City. By the way, real quick story that. Field Trip was recorded during the L.A. riots. We could not leave the wow. studio. We were in lockdown at, in Sound City. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, riots going on, and, and, you know, there's it's in the liner notes. But anyway, we decided to go back to Sound City with a guy named Garth Richardson. Uh, they called him G -G 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 Garth, um, and he had just come off. He engineered, like... Uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic by the Bread Hot Chili Peppers. He just did, came off of the um, Rage Against, Against the Machine records. So he was kind of an up-and-comer. Great, great dude. We were in we were in pre-production. Basically, all we had to do was just, like, shove the gear across the alley into the studio. We were just, you know, we were in Sound City, but in a rehearsal room. And that's where you would, those board tapes, to this day, that's what you hear wherever that record is floating around i it's going to be officially released eventually um probably remix it or something but uh we the band just imploded i mean literally you know it's a case of <laughs> just uh i think we just took it for granted man i i you know looking back no one no one from the label no one from the manager i just no one stepped in and says hey man you know you know you guys gotta you gotta get this done and and now i look back and i go it should have just been me and i i should have just you know need to get this fucking done to guys mm -hmm. you know so but you know it just imploded man i i i don't really couldn't tell you anything beyond that you know everybody just had this i i went to guatemala and got the heck out of the country and johnny was Going back and forth to Texas, trying, you know, working out just relationship stuff and just his deal. And Rob was, you know, in his zone, you know, in exploring new songwriting. And, and everyone was just checked out, you know. I mean, we were checked in when we were in the room. And, and as you can hear with the tracks that are actually are there. And, you know, I think just 
impatience. I don't know what to say. I, I you know, just couldn't get it done. Well, what's the relationship with these guys now? Do you do you have any communication with your past band members? I do. I, I've uh, everybody except for Mike. Really, I mean, I, I don't. You know, I have no problems with Mike, but I think he's got a lot of resentment for some reason. But um, Gregory, I've always you know been tight with. He's probably the, uh, the you know tightest I've been with since. And Rob's, I know, doing well. We've talked a few times regarding. Um, the, the past release with Big Western Sky and all that stuff, and he's, I'm, you know, I'm good. I, I've actually ran into Scott Donnell, the original drummer, um, at like a Whole Foods up in Ventura. <laughs> it's like, That's weird. <laughs> it's super, super random. <laughs> it's like, but he's doing great. You know, he's still, you know, everybody's, everyone's still very musical and creative, and and you know, seeking than doing what they love to do. So it's, 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 a, it's a beautiful thing. You think you guys all ever get together again and do, I know there's all these cruises, there's M3, there's festivals. You guys, you had to have talked about this before, right? I think we're the, the, the last standing band the, you know, <laughs> that, <laughs> that hasn't got, gotten together for a reunion, which is uh, hopefully, um, you know, creating more demand and value. <laughs> <laughs> it's strategic. That's my that's my that's my philosophy. Uh, I you know I, I'm not uh, you know I, I'm not opposed. I, I I I'm sure four out of five would probably do it, and uh, anything's possible, man. I, I, I it would be fun. It'd be fun to. I really just you know I like the tunes, and and uh, uh, it'd be interesting to be get in a room and play that stuff again, like the way it was done it, it's we were you know no rules although you know the way that that stuff was recorded we were hell bent on going out and playing it that way you know live so a lot of that gear the same amps guitar whatever it is i was using vocally like a you know effect rack or whatever the heck we needed to reproduce that sound it was not a small task. <laughs> I'm sure. So, um, as far as the no rule stuff, but you know, that's here nor there. I, I, I'm not that anal anymore. I just like you know, you, uh, you know, let the let the let the song just you know, just show up, know your parts, and, and the rock. <laughs> <laughs> so I had posted a tweet a few weeks back, and I think I posted a little video clip of uh, "You're So Strange." And I, I think I mentioned, I said, oh, Stephen's going to be on the, the podcast, you know, in the future. And somebody was like, yeah, uh, did you know he was in the running to be in Motley Crue? And I was like, huh? I, I never I never heard that. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? That was news to me. Sure, I was, among two other ones, but mm-hmm. uh, I can I can elaborate on. Um, but, yeah, I, I got about... I have a 28-year-old son, which actually I, I just recently became a grandfather. I have a beautiful uh, baby uh, granddaughter named Sequoia. Uh, but when my son was a little older than her, uh, about three or four, one of his best friends and his mom's best friends was um, Nikki Six's son, um, uh, Gunner. 
And so Jagger and Gunner were hanging out a lot because my ex and, and Brandy Brandt were very good friends. And I was spending a lot of time at Nikki's house and at birthday parties and, and just, you know, whatever. But so I, you know, we, had, we were just kind of spending a lot of time together. So one morning around 11 o'clock, I get a phone call from Nikki and literally he says, I mean, I'm, this is when I used to wake up at 11. <laughs> <laughs> now we're eating uh, lunch at 11. At least I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's, he's like, Hey man, uh, you know, uh, Vince just left the band, man. We're wondering if you want to come down and, you know, and, uh, check this thing out. And I'm like, I'm like, am I fucking dreaming? What am I? What is this going <laughs> on? Here? I'm literally <laughs> laying in bed, you know. And I, and of course, yes, you know. I mean, I, I'm a. I grew up in the Midwest playing, you know, three or four sets of of you know, rock and roll metal covers, and many of those included Motley Crue. So to be able to go in a room with these guys was an absolute, you know, yes. So. I think no more than a week or more uh, later after that phone call, I find myself uh, near Burbank Airport, massive room, walking in and, hey, man, you know, Tommy's out, yells out from behind his drums and everyone just kind of doesn't move. They just all greet me as I walk in and, uh, you know, sound engineer, I basically step into a circle of monitors like my own world and all of the what do you want to do man you know it's like uh you know live wire sure yeah God, you know i mean like the loudest <laughs> the most intense loudest rehearsal i've ever been i mean it's just insane you know like so loud that you almost lose the one <laughs> you know what i'm saying you know you're like where the but very you know incredible experience i ended up uh, you know, hanging out for about probably three or four hours, we started working on tunes. Everything was recorded. Um, started writing some stuff, you know, and da 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 da. It was a fantastic experience. So I, I, I when I, what, though when I left, I remember just vividly um, being sitting in my car, you know, and that, like the hair on my arm still kind of standing up from tingling you know like the volume and the energy and and i but there's something in me that just knew that i that wasn't something i wanted those weren't the shoes I, it wasn't for me right. you know it was, yeah. that was enough um and you know I, I come to learn that you know they only saw myself uh karabi uh i think uh, sebastian and uh, I believe Mark Torian from okay. Torian from uh, Bullet Boys, Bullet but Boys. I, I that one I, I can't confirm. But I think I only saw four guys. Um, but I heard, you know, I ended up a guy named John Greenberg who was handling uh, John Karabi at the time. He kind of filled me in on the whole thing. He said, "Yeah, it was down to you. it was between you and Karabi, and and he just kind of fit. You know, I I had already." Like I said, I knew that it wasn't my for me, and he already fit the bill. He had the tats. He had every. I still don't have one stitch of ink. No. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't my scene. You know, and I'm I'm not going to go get ink just to be part. You know, it wasn't my thing. So he, you know, and then the rest is history. You got the gig, and he was the right guy for the gig. But it was it was quite an honor to throw down with those cats. 
That's awesome, man. That, like I said, that must have been just a, a crazy experience, one you'll never forget. And it's funny you say it because I, I, I never heard the Mark Torian. I've heard Sebastian Bach. And uh, yep. I, I honestly think that may have commercially worked. I don't know if it would have worked with the personalities, but I think commercially they probably would have fared better you know, with Sebastian over John Karabi, I think. But I tell you, I, I would have been interested to see what kind of music you would have made with them because I think it would have been pretty cool stuff. Um, yeah, I think one of the songs that's on there, I swear to God, they lifted uh, some either that, uh, well, there's isn't there like a, Till death do us part, or yes, something yep, on that record. Yep, yep. That 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 that's my title. I literally Is walked it? out. I, I went to the bathroom. I came back. Nick, he'll tell you. I mean, I literally he's thumbing through my lyric book, and it, that it's open to that page. That song, and there's a song called "Till Death Do Us Part" on that. I believe it's on the Big Western Sky demos, but that song was written way before. <laughs> I, you know. Anyway, uh, you know, you know, I'll take credit for that. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Well, we got to talk yeah. about your voice, man, because you have a very interesting voice. Who are some of your uh, vocal heroes growing up? Who makes up your your voice? Graham Bonnet. I'm not sure if you know you know who Graham Bonnet oh, is. Oh yeah, from, MSG, from, uh, yeah, from Michael, Rainbow. Michael, yep. Yeah, Rainbow. Uh, Hagar. Early Hagar for the Matro stuff and, and even, you know, into his solo stuff. Um, Roth, I mean, his, he, Roth in a way that just more his <laughs> swagger. <laughs> <laughs> He's got you know? that, yeah. Um, and attitude. Um, you know, a, a few songs that, I got. I was really into Gary Newman. I know that sounds really crazy, but that Cars record. And then, um, remember that song, uh, Billy uh, Billy Thorpe, "Children of the Sun." Yes. Yep. yep. Children of the Sun. Yeah. Yep. That song. That song shaped me. I used to. Literally, I had a full PA in my room. Literally, my neighbors are. They were the greatest. But I had like these two massive stacks of PA with a my little Effectron, you know, effect unit and one mic. And I used to just sing to, to stuff so loud, in, you know, just over and over and really just kind of get, you know, the nuances of different voice. I mean, also, you know, Halford, you know, some of his early stuff. I don't really desire to do that stuff anymore. I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm, it's just, I, I'm, I'm more song, I don't. I'm not. I'm not worried about screaming, and I don't know. That's not my thing anymore. You know. I don't know if I feel it. I will, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would say those. A lot of the, those are the. Those are the few that were really shaping me. The guy from UFO, Phil Moog. Mm-hmm. Cool. That's awesome. Well, yeah. hey man, this was a great conversation. I appreciate all the stuff you threw out there. What do you want to say to all the people who followed you all these years? Oh man, you know I. I I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, I appreciate all the love, man, the KT. And I, I, you know, really grateful that this music, um, is still in people's CD players <laughs> and, and they're still enjoying it, man. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's cool to see, you know, KT come on hair nation or whatever it is. I'm like, Hey, and I'm just like, I'm getting paid. <laughs> no, um, nah, just just deepest gratitude, and I just again the 
we, we loved every all our fans, man. We were, I think, you know, we very. Um, it's just you know, it's such a unique experience, the fan band thing, man. It's and and and, and uh, again, I, I just full on gratitude. Thank you for the the continued support and and you know and enjoying the music. Well, brother, great conversation. Said appreciate the time. I uh, wish you a lot of luck with Silver Linings, and uh, when it's out. You let me know, and uh, I'll be promoting it on my site. I cannot thank you enough, Mike. Thank you very much, brother. I appreciate it. Take care. Stay healthy. All the best to you, baby. Metal cast. Glam. (laughs) Take care, man. Well, it was a blast talking with Steven. Well, the next episode that's coming up is a dream come true for a KISS fan like me. My interview with Bruce Kulik. So you don't want to miss this. Subscribe now. Rock on!